the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back December 8th, 2021, as we head into our second of our three-hour daily tour. It is a delight to welcome back a dear friend, uh, Karen Taylor Robeson, who is a candidate for governor, running for governor here in Arizona. I have known, well, our families have known each other for probably something like 80 years. You guys know a little bit of my biography. I've been engaged in a lot of battles. I got to tell you, one of the reasons, of course, I like Karen so much is not just because of uh, be, uh, we being such good friends over the years and decades, but Really, I have to tell you, in all those battles, I was thinking about it. She has joined me in every single one of them, whether it's protecting our children's mental health, improving education systems. It's it's kind of like what one of James Madison's biographers said about James Madison. When you knock on her door, there's always someone home. Karen Taylor Robeson is always answering the door when people knock. How are you, Karen? I'm doing great, Seth. Thank you for having me on today. You betcha. Uh, anytime, all the time. <laughs> I, uh, and when you become governor, you'll uh, you'll you'll be here too, Karen. Uh, a couple things in the education um, in the education ta- subject I wanted to raise with you. We had a conversation. We'll get to the cameras in the classrooms in a second, which is big in the news. But we had a conversation on air with some listeners yesterday, talking about how n- not even adult friends can pass the basic civics test that immigrants have to pass in this country. I said, you know, we in Arizona tried to do something about that, and we were actually the leader on that. And I was saying that to him. I thought, when I say we, it really kind of starts with the work you commenced here in Arizona. Do you want to say something about that, Karen? Well, absolutely, Seth. I'm a, I'm a mother of four, and so education has been near and dear to my heart for for over 20 years now, just getting my kids through school. And many years ago, well over a decade ago, uh, as a member of the Joe Foss Institute and ultimately as its board, we came to the conclusion that we had to do something and we had to do something big so that our kids could learn about the great history of our country. And so we started the Civics Education Initiative that requires high school, every high school senior in Arizona requires them to pass the same test that immigrants to our country have to pass. And Arizona was the first state to pass it. It was Governor Ducey's first piece of legislation that he signed into law. And then we took our show on the road, mm-hmm. and with a lot of help from a lot of people. I remember being don- in your living room doing this, yes. raising raising yes. funds for this. You betcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. Many donors in Arizona stepped up to help us throughout the country, and today I'm proud to report that in 33 states, they have similar legislation or similar requirements so that high school seniors across the country have to take the same test that the immigrants take to become citizens. And our best estimate is we have now about 3 million high school seniors every year having to take that test. Now, that being said, it's, you know, it's a good start. We got a lot more work to do in the, in the civics education front. So, this is an all-hands-on-deck requirement, and it's not something you can just do and be done with. No. It's something that we have to continue to do. Absolutely. Ronald Reagan taught us that. You know that speech he gave about uh, freedom isn't handed down, we have to t- teach it, you know, it can be lost That's in a right. single... You know, first time he said that was in Phoenix in 1961. 
It's the first time he said it. I always thought we kind of owed him a special salute and protection of that thought. Speaking of freedom, I are, are, are we trying to become the Shenzhen province? Are we trying to become Beijing? What is all this about now putting kids on camera in the classrooms? What is this nonsense? Well, you know, I tell you, our schools are the problem. You know, parents absolutely have a legitimate concern about what their kids are and aren't being taught in school. Parents want schools to tell the truth. And so, again, as a mother, I want to know what's going on in my kid's school. But the last thing I would do is put the put cameras in the hands of of the school administrators so that they can build. You know, there's there's an awful lot of legitimate concern about the Scottsdale School District and the school board and the and the dossier being compiled against parents. Yeah. Well, if we put cameras in the hands of the very same schools, they're going to build dossiers on our children, and that is the last thing I want. I mean, if that's what you want. Go to North Korea or China, yeah. where they where they have cameras everywhere and they watch every one of our moves. I think it's an awful idea from an educational perspective as well as a moral political one. Uh, I haven't uh, done the recent research, but you know I've been for reasons you you well know I've been doing federal education policy for I don't know better part of more than twenty years. And the studies I saw when, I mean, these proposals come up every once in a while. There's really nothing new in education <laughs> reform. There is, there is bad stuff, but there's not new stuff. And, and I remember some of the studies, Karen, that said that the solutions that the cameras in the classrooms try to resolve uh, or, 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 or the problems they try to prevent actually shifts the problem elsewhere. So if it's, di- if it's, for example, discipline, what they saw were spikes of discipline problems in places where the kids knew the cameras weren't, and it increased it. If the problem had to do with children who were too reticent to speak up in class or too fearful to say perhaps the wrong thing or engage in a dialogue because children often are naturally shy anyway, this, this, this put a damper on, on, on their expression as well. I don't know that it's even a very good pedagogical idea. Uh, well, I would agree with that. You know, it falls into the category of unintended consequences. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention the cost and the expense of doing this, right? right? The last thing I want to do is grow the expenses that, that um, you know, don't add to, you know, the edu- educational outcomes of our children. And I think, you know, when it comes to school transparency, the, the answer truly is more engagement from Arizona moms and dads. Absolutely. And, and, you know, parents who want to get involved in their, their kids' education, the last thing they should be uh, called is, is uh, domestic terrorists, yeah. like the Biden administration, yeah. you know, the Department of Justice right. would like to call involved parents. So that's the last thing that we need. And, and, you know, Arizona has been a leader in choice in education, and I believe that uh, with, with greater choice, parents will be able to take their kids and put them into any school they want. And, that, and they can put them into schools where the administrators welcome the input of parents as opposed to shunning the input of parents. And so as governor, I will do everything that I can to continue to make Arizona, uh, you know, the, the state where school choice is uh, paramount. You know, Karen, thank you for saying that. Choice, you bet. Educational freedom. It just uh, doesn't seem to me that surveillance matches the concept of freedom, right? I mean, this is where you're right. coming from. On this, we are told 
that, well, you know, don't overstate it, guys. We can just destroy the tapes every five weeks or every six weeks or every year or something like that. And I'm thinking, my gosh, are you guys reading the newspapers about what people are doing when we don't have camera footage? I mean, it's, it's you know, disclosing information about people. I'm not trusting these people to destroy anything. I think I, I have seen enough of the destruction of our of our children's education. I'm not trusting them to destroy the tapes that they're making on our kids, though. That's right. It's it's the fox guarding the hen house. That's right. That's right. Karen, the parents that do um, want to be so involved in their children's education from curriculum on up and what we saw coming out of uh, Loudoun County in Virginia was a breath of fresh air and I think a great wake-up call. Uh, and it revolves around really two kinds of things, right? It comes to COVID mandates, but it comes to the teachings of racialism as well, critical race theory or whatever people want to call it. I don't care. We all know what it is. Uh, we are we, we, we tried to pass a law to ban it here. Um, and because of the way the law was written, the Supreme Court in Arizona didn't uphold it. But that doesn't prevent the legislature from rewriting it and the next governor from re-signing it, does it? A ban on CRT? That's correct. Okay. And, um, you know, again, I go, I go back to empowering parents yep. and families by, you know, giving them the freedom to take their child to whatever school best meets their needs. Good. And that way, parents will know what their children are being taught. And if they don't like it, you know, if a school is going to teach critical race theory, take your kid out and move them somewhere else. And that will then force the schools that are teaching those things to our children and indoctrinating our children, they're going to have to change their ways because parents aren't stand. Parents won't stand for it. We, Neither will I, as governor. Good for you. We I, and thank you for saying that. We we spend billions of dollars in this state on education. I think it's in the neighborhood of eight billion. You would know better. But Karen, uh, the image I have is that we take those dollars and we strap them to the backs of the students, and the parents direct those students and those dollars where they want. Isn't that kind of the image we're going for here? Absolutely. We're going to empower families to choose the best educational option for their children. In, in fact, it's already happening in Arizona. Over 50% of our students are going to schools other than the ones they're assigned. And, and about 20% of our kids are in charter schools. That's right. And we have charter schools with waiting lists. We mm -hmm. have to empower the schools that are performing and producing and that parents are choosing. We have to be able to, uh, you know, allow them to scale so that they can provide you know, continue to provide options for our, for our kids. Nicely put. It's. It, I understand why the teachers' unions are against these things. It's. It's an embarrassment to see that that people are standing in line waiting, and by the way, wanting to pay a little bit to get out of the school they've been assigned to. It's an embarrassment to what they've created. It really is. I think it's a. It's a disservice to our kids. We have a system that is designed for the adults and not the kids. Yeah, that's. And a, we have to change that paradigm. Uh, that's a great. Point. I've never heard it said that way. I love that. If you want to learn more about Karen Taylor Robeson's candidacy or biography, her website is KarenForArizona.com, and for is actually spelled out F O R. Karen is K A R R I N F O R Arizona. Dot com. I know how busy you are on the hustings there, but I had to get you in on this because people were saying, "Where are we on this cameras in the classrooms?" Kinds of things. Pretty simple answer. We're against it. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Karen Taylor Robeson. Godspeed to you. We'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Talk soon.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I guess there's this I, – I, I'm not – I have to confess too terribly familiar with it while we're talking about education. There's this thing called Masterclass, masterclass.com. Have you, are you familiar with this, Bill? It's a it's, – you sign up, you pay for it, and you get people like – Madeleine Albright teaching a class on diplomacy, uh, Bill Clinton teaching a class on leadership, George W. Bush teaching a class on leadership. It looks to me mostly like it's a financed and well-produced TED Talk that's taking place here, but over a longer period, TED Talks are relatively short, aren't they? I don't remember what they are. Something like, is it like 12 minutes or something? I don't remember what it is. And they may have changed it. But... The news uh, here that is that tomorrow, actually, uh, there will be a class on the power of resilience, the power of resilience, you know, staying tough, staying strong against all the gale winds, gale force winds blowing against you. And uh, it will be taught by who? That's actually an interesting question. If there were someone alive today, someone around today who, you know, was capable of you know, teaching a class, which most people would be if they're alive. Who would you want to learn about resilience from? It's, it doesn't immediately come to mind, does it? Um, maybe maybe uh, an athlete who's been beaten a lot, uh, who's lost uh, a lot of races. Maybe, maybe someone who in politics has shown leadership in a terribly tough circumstance or a profile in courage even, as John Kennedy wrote about those uh, several people in history who showed profiles in courage. Um, may, maybe it would be a dogged journalist, if you think about it, like Andy No, who goes to these events with no budget and gets beaten up for trying to show us uh, what the left is up to on the streets. Um, we, may, may, any number of, of people come to mind, but is that would you have put Hillary Clinton on that list? She is the one that is the yeah, you're laughing. She's the one. Oh, you really are laughing. <laughs> she is the one who will be teaching this master class. And she tweeted out, I'm excited to invite you to join my new master class. I'll be teaching the skills I developed throughout my career, the challenges, the triumphs. And all the rest. I hope these lessons will help you chart your own path with passion and purpose. There's a lot of problem in that. I hope these lessons will help you chart your own path with passion and purpose. Does anyone ever anymore talk about charting a good path, a just path, a moral path, an important path? a helpful path, a charitable path, or is it always about your discovery now? What you, I, I, one, I've been driven crazy by this notion that is everywhere, has been for a long time since William Shakespeare, since William Shakespeare um, uh, uh, which is to thine own self be true. And people love to throw that around in commencement speeches and elsewhere. And I, uh, I've, I've always hated it. I've always hated it. 
because we know a lot of people who we don't want to be true to themselves. We talked about some of them on air yesterday. We went to war against them after December 7th, 1941, didn't we? Actually, December 8th was when we declared it, right? Uh, today, 80 years ago, when Franklin Roosevelt gave his Day of Infamy speech. I don't want someone to do that, and I don't want them to chart their own path if it's a path towards ignominy or nihilism or self-destruction or harm to others. I, 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 I want people to be more like the witness in the Jesse Smollett trial, who when CBS put a microphone in front of his face said, are you going to tell your truth? He goes, I'm not going to tell my truth. I'm going to tell the truth. You don't still by chance have it. You do. You looked as if you might. This was one of the people Jesse Smollett paid uh, money to engage in the hoax with. He turned state's evidence. He was one of the twin brothers. And do you have that audio? Do you? Oh, good for you. Let's do it. You ready to tell your truth? I'm ready to do what I got to do. Tell the truth, not my truth. There you go. He's my new hero. I mean, you never know where your next moral instruction is going to come from. And every saint does have a path. I'm not willing to bestow sainthood on these people. Trust me, I don't know what uh, what what they're doing with their lives. They turn state's evidence, and he's he's obviously a witness for the prosecution in the Jesse Smollett uh, case, which I guess we're going to get a decision on uh, maybe even by the end of the day. If not today, probably tomorrow. But let me return to this. I'll be te- Hillary Clinton teaching a master class on resilience. I'll be teaching the skills I developed through my career, the challenges, the triumphs, and all the rest. Can anyone think, take away the partisan lens for a moment, if you can. I know it's hard, but if you can, take away the partisan lens for a moment. Can anyone think of a situation that was tough, and Hillary Clinton's been put through a lot of them, that she handled well, that she handled well? Does anyone remember the travel office firings? Does anyone rem- Do you know what drove the Gingrich revolution of 94 more than anything else? When Gingrich took over Congress and brought the Republican majority to the House of Representatives for the first time in something like 50 years. Do you know do you remember what the what the leading driver of that was? It was something called Hillary Care. Do you remember that? Hillary Clinton's health care proposals, Ira Magaziner and all that stuff, Michael Lerner, Ira Alexander, Ale- what did I say, Ira Magaziner, <laughs> uh, Michael Lerner, politics of meaning, all that part going into the health care that was all those hearings that were done in secret with a massive hijinks of wending procedural, political, and governmental overlaps. That's what drove it. What has she handled well? The impeachment? Uh, before the impeachment, there was the accusation against her husband for engaging in an affair while he was in the White House, indeed in the Oval Office. Do you remember what her first – what was her first response on the Today Show? Do you remember? To blame the right. To blame the right. Now, when she ran for president, it was an entirely different story. She just hid from the light. Do you remember when she didn't win in 2016? She didn't come out and do a concession speech. It's the typical normal thing to do. She didn't. She sent her campaign manager out to do it. And then she waited a day. And then she denied that Donald Trump was ever elected legitimately in the first place. Is that how you want your children to learn resilience? Blame everyone else for every failure of yours?
Listener uh, and uh, and caller uh, contributor participant Rob uh, in surprise emailed on this on this lesson on resilience. I think this is the winning email of the day thus far. Anyway, I'll take any of the remaining still living Vietnam POWs any time over Hillary Clinton's lessons on resilience. You know, we just lost Bob Dole and a lot of people may not recall he had no use of his right arm not hand arm no use of his right arm because of the injuries sustained in world war ii he couldn't tie his own tie this is a man who couldn't tie his own tie you think maybe there's some lessons in resilience there um take the vietnam pow's the one i knew for a while the best and i think he's still alive we've lost touch just the way things go, you know, I moved out of D.C. and all that sort of thing. The one I knew best, and I knew him a little bit, was Orson Swindle. And his story was amazing. Of course, John McCain's story was amazing. These guys, they turned, particularly McCain, I mean, you know, we can have our problems with his politics, of course. I don't think we can have a problem with his heroism or shouldn't. And that was actually one of my chief complaints about John McCain is his biography was so much better than his uh, than his uh, than his political craft and ability, but but yeah, that re- that resilience. Uh, Everett Alvarez was a POW at the uh, Hanoi Hilton, and it was one of those great lines that John McCain had. Maybe the greatest line he ever had was in a debate, I think, running for the presidency. It was in a primary debate in 07. And for some reason, there was talk of Woodstock. I don't know if it was a Woodstock reunion or something like that. And they were asked to comment on it or someone raised it. And his response was, I don't have much to say about Woodstock. I missed it. I was tied up at the time. Maybe the maybe his best line ever. Boy, was he tied up. You bet. And he couldn't use his arms naturally either. What is the problem with teaching those martial virtues of resilience? I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but this is how cultures change slowly. That Hillary Clinton what what is what did what did she survive? What what did she survive that she didn't actually create? What in other words what problems did she survive that she didn't create? The vast right wing conspiracy. She created a phrase and the phrase stayed. I had another email point out that we had websites dedicated to that name at one point, And we still proudly greet each other sometimes at meetings as members of the vast right wing conspiracy. And it's funny. But do you remember why she said it? When she said it, it wasn't funny. It was to distract the press from covering the Bill Clinton story. Do you remember how she did it? She said what the underlying story is for any reporter, journalists that want to cover it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been going after me and my husband for whatever she said, years or a decade or two decades or our whole political life, whatever she said. But that's what it was about. It was taunting the press to go investigate that. And funny enough, they did. Funny enough, they did. They started going – They. The Clinton, the Clinton scandal, I, I was following it closely. I knew some people tangentially involved in it a little bit. And it was it, – it stopped being covered. 
and people started trying to understand who the Scaifes were. Do you remember that name, Richard Millen Scaife, in this magazine he had, American Spectator, I think it was, and at the time, and the Ar- the Arkansas newspapers he had. He was a multimillionaire based in, in Arkansas who was a conservative at the time. He later changed his political stripes. And there was nothing there. There was nothing there at all to find. What we did find is um, a president who was engaged in lying to the American people, but definitively lying under oath, lying under oath, which is considered perjury, guilty of obstruction of justice. The president had to surrender his law license. The president had to write an $800,000 check as a fine for lying to the court, the federal court in Arkansas. His attorney, one Robert S. Bennett, related to one William J. Bennett, as brother, Bill Clinton's attorney had to write a personal note of apology to the judge, not because Bob Bennett knew he was lying. He would never do that. No good lawyer would ever allow a lie to be told to a judge or a court or jury, but because his client lied to him. Is this resilience? You survived. You tricked us. You have pulled wools over our eyes, and you have blamed everyone else for your failures. Is that the lesson in resilience you want to teach your children or yourselves? I just It gets to me. Why were we talking about this song the other day? Do you remember, Bill? Maybe we weren't. <laughs> maybe I thought. Maybe it was two other guys. Maybe it was two other guys and 200,000 other people. I don't know. Why were we talking about that song? Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. We were talking yesterday about songs to teach history. It was just yesterday, wasn't it? This song is geography. His song is – this. yes. The Edmund Fitzgerald is history. Carefree Highway is geography. And – Brake pads, I guess, because he's slipping away on the highway. Yeah, it actually, I interviewed him once. It, he actually, it is about carefree, the carefree highway here in Phoenix. And I, I it was kind of funny because I was asking on air at some point about this. Any, great musician, if you like that style. But does anyone really quite understand what the lyrics mean? And, of course, if you could read my mind, has a lot of abstruse uh, lyrics. And Carefree Highway doesn't exactly make a, a, a ton of sense, but I did ask him about it, and he said, well, he had a girlfriend here, and he was driving. I think it was a breakup. And uh, are there more songs about breakups or more songs about falling in love? Someone must know the answer to that question. Are there more songs about breakups or falling in love? To- Timber, I'm falling in. You think more falling in? Hmm. Well, not in country. I think you're neglecting the. Yeah, maybe. I don't. We'll, we'll look at. We'll take a look at this on the break. You think it's a sixty forty falling in, not falling out, including country, the genre of country, and what. And what about classical? What about jazz? Blues, by definition, is all about breakups. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to argue this one with you. I'm going to say there are more songs about breakups. We'll put something on the table to make this interesting, shall we? 
lunch at some point. <laughs> we'll do something. All right. Anyway, Gordon Lightfoot, another great uh, Canadian musician. There's a lot of great Canadian musicians. Have you noticed how how many music? All right, I'm getting caught up in music. What I wanted to talk about. Did you see the news? Rashida Tlaib thinks that it's unfair that she has to pay back her student loans. So sitting congresswoman, she says she has something like seventy thousand dollars in student debt left over from her education. Um, I don't know that it was seventy thousand. I don't know what. I don't remember what she said her original bill was. I think it was in the six figures. I think it actually was in the high six figures. But I um, I note that she, you know, as a member of Congress, she's making well knocking on the door of probably making two hundred thousand dollars a year i don't know what the what's the salary of a congressman it's about one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year plus an entire staff that's paid for by you you pay for her salary too think about that you want to get angry this will make you angry the money that goes to pay for the salaries and it goes both ways if you want sure but i'm making the point one way the money that goes to pay the salaries of your Rashida Talibs and your AOCs and your Ilan Omars. Rashida Talibs a congresswoman out of Michigan, right? It's not Michigan taxpayers that pay her salary. I mean, it could be, but it's all American taxpayers. Part of your tax bill is probably that's that that's that's the wrong way to say it. Part of your tax bill. Part of your tax bill is likely paying for Congress people, senators, officials like Rashida Tlaib. Part of it is that should make you angry. There's, there's no way to get around the moral injustice of it. We live that way, you know. We live in a in a in a society where you know other teams get to govern against our choices, but they then have to abide by their losses when we win. That is. The rule. That is what a government of consent means. That is how you have a representative democracy or a republic accepting the results of elections. As Lincoln said, we do ballots, not bullets, right? You have to accept the loss and let that's part of what it means when we say all men are created equal or all people are created equal in modern parlance, right? We have an equal right to vote and we have an equal right to govern as much as we succeed in understanding we have an equal obligation to be governed when we don't win that election resilience would be teaching that by the way if you're hillary clinton resilience would be teaching that not going for years upon years upon years of inventing even paying for furtively, evidently illegally, fake stories, fake news, fake dossiers, fake information to establish that your opponent won by dint of foreign influence and foreign cheating. That's not what Hillary Clinton's resilience was about. Her resilience was about denying that Donald Trump was ever a legitimate president. That's what that resilience was about. She was resolved to prove that Donald Trump was not legitimately elected. And it went on 
for years and years and years, and not alone. Nancy Pelosi was right there, too. Here's a tweet from Nancy Pelosi. What do the Russians have on Donald Trump politically, financially, and personally? Another tweet. Again, what do the Russians have on Trump politically, personally, and financially? Another one. What does Putin have on Donald Trump politically, personally? It's almost as if she had an F7 macro cue. Do people still use that sort of thing where you just push a button and you get the statement? Boy, I'm looking at tweet after tweet after tweet, and it's the same routine after routine after routine with her. What do they have on him politically, personally, or financially? I bet, I bet you that language was tested in a poll, politically, personally, and financially. I bet it was. Hillary Clinton said it. Jimmy Carter said it. Nancy Pelosi said it. And for the entire tenure of Donald Trump's presidency. The entire tenure. That's not resiliency either, is it? Um, Well, it's a kind of resilience. It it is actually a kind of resilience because you can have resilience for good and for ill, right? Just as to thine own self be true. Just as chart your own path. You can have resilience for good and for ill. You can be stubborn. You can be ignorant. You can blame others. You can take no personal responsibility. You can do all that under the guise of a resiliency. If she's going to teach that class, guess what? We don't need it. I love that line. Was it Prager's or Rush's? I just can't remember. we got to figure this out someday. I guess we could ask Dennis. It's not like we can't reach out to him. Who said, you know how I know humans weren't born good? When you go to the self-help section of the bookstore, there's no books teaching you how to be a worse person. We know how to do that. We know how to be bad. We need books on how to be good people. We'll be right back. It's uh, it's all it's always fun for me. What what uh, piques interest around here? We had a caller. Was it who was it? Ray wanted me to uh, note that it was the first mate's last voyage. The Edmund Fitzgerald, right? Good, good addition. Rob is in surprise. Hey, Rob, I just mentioned you. How are you, sir? I, I'm I'm just as uh, happy as usual, and I'm always glad to talk to you. Oh, Great thank show you. so far. Thank you. Um, I like how you I'm always gonna... qualify because there's you know <laughs> there's time to go. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean you're, you know you got so me far we're okay. Yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> right, um, resiliency. I I think people have the wrong role models these days. Yeah, it, and mainly it's because you know. We're talking a lot about Hillary doing this stupid, obviously quite uh, not conservative uh, master cast yeah. or whatever the heck. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, I'm always thinking, because I'm retired military, I'm thinking about, what about the wounded warrior? Yeah. What about the Man. Vietnam POWs? Yeah. What about the, uh, you know, the guys in the DAV, the disabled American veterans? I mean, these are the, these to me, well... They're, you know, I'm a little nuts, but I, I think these guys are the real heroes. The uh, ones I'd bring them into every guys. classroom in America. Absolutely. And maybe even teach some civics while they're at it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, you know, they would love to do I it, too. A lot of retirees from the military would love to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm one of them, yeah. actually. Yeah. But um, that that's the resiliency part. The uh the other thing is, you know, the, the love song or falling in love, yeah, falling out of love. Yeah, I, I I find well, country's kind of complicated because you get a little mix of both. 
There was a great band about 40 years ago called the Southern Hillman Furry Band. Richie Furry was an original member of the Buffalo Springfield, and he became a minister, actually, um, in Colorado, and he actually retired, but I think he's on the road now. Uh, J.D. Souther, I think, was one of Linda Ronstadt's original boyfriends, hmm. and Chris Hillman, I think, was also in Buffalo Springfield. Anyway, um, they had a great first album and their first song was Fallen in Love and the, the harmony was great the beat was great uh, and and that was just one of my favorite you know Fallen in Love uh, you know hung did it feel like Falling in Love and it's just a it, it's just a great song uh, SHF and I think the record company tried to model them after uh, uh, the uh, 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 Crosby Stills and Nash oh, okay. you know, they needed another a competitive record company needed to have a Crosby, Stills, Nash of their own, yeah. and that was their own. And then I wanted to just kind of bring up real quick, you mentioned last week about moderate Republicans, yeah. and I, there's probably no time, but um, I wanted to kind of expand on you know what it is and what defines a moderate Republican. I'd, lo- I'd love so, to know. Shoot me an email. I'd, I'm fascinated by the notion of it. Excuse me. I have a good story about moderate Republicans I'll share with you if Bill reminds me in the next hour. And I want to say something about these breakup and falling in love songs. I think I have something close to the best answer we can arrive at. You have to stay tuned for all of it and for Bacha Unger Sargon. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.